Insights live streaming channel. I have a guest today with me, Oscar Quiros from, uh, he's the chief language officer, I should say, at Certified Interpreting Services. Welcome, Oscar. How are you doing today? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Tucker, for having me. This is a very special occasion for me. Well, thanks for agreeing to come on. I'm always looking for new and exciting guests to talk about new and exciting things on, on this channel and these pop-up live events. Uh, for those of you that are just joining right now, um, these pop-up events are not announced. We do them live. We do them whenever we feel like it frankly, because it takes less planning that way. But what that means is that if you're not subscribed to Nimsy Insights, then you're not going to get notifications. So make sure to subscribe to Nimsy Insights on whatever platform that we're coming to you on today. We are live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And we've been getting some really good conversation in the comments section over on LinkedIn when we do these live streams. So you might want to join the party and head on over that way. Uh, Another quick introduction to talk about our, our host today, Nimsy Insights on the channel. Uh, Nimsy Insights is a market research and consulting company. We specialize in helping companies go global and helping global brands better reach and better relate to their international customers, really on a local level. We do a lot of work in the localization industry, language services, uh, process audits, technology audits, integration, automation, streamlining. All of that stuff, um, more information, go check out www.nimsy.com. But that's not what we are talking about today. Today, we have Oscar. Why don't, why don't you introduce our, our subject today? Because it was your LinkedIn post that really kicked it off, kicked off this conversation. And um, that's what we're going to be following up with today. Yes, thank you, Tucker. I noticed that people are really interested in debating whether speaking different languages shapes our personality. Do we change when we speak a different language? And this discussion was prompted because of a video by Leda Boroditsky, a cognitive scientist who gave a TED talk. And if you want, we can talk uh, about this and we can see the very beginning of the talk because that introduction is amazing she explains very well what happens when we go to different cultures and see how people talk and how people relate to each other okay well um let's take a look at this video i don't think we can play the whole thing because i think there's there's copyright considerations to to take into account but let's in fact the way that you say hello in quotire is which way are you going and the answer should be North, northeast, in the far distance. How about you? People who speak languages like this oh, stay oriented. I'm sorry. The language we speak shape the. We're gonna false. That's, false the, that's the beginning of the video, yeah. and she's talking about the Cook Tayor people in Cape York. So let's see York. how they behave differently from us relating to language. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll click play here. Does the language we speak shape the way we think? These are the Kuktaiar people. They live in Pomporao at the very west edge of Cape York. In Kuktaiar, they don't use words like left and right. And instead, everything is in cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west. And when I say everything, I really mean everything. You would say something like, oh, there's a, an ant on your southwest leg, uh, or move your cup to the north, northeast a little bit. 
In fact, the way that you say hello in Sanskrit is, which way are you going? And the answer should be, north, northeast, in the far distance, how about you? People who speak languages like this stay oriented really, really well. They stay oriented better than we used to think humans could. Uh, we used to think that humans were worse than other creatures because some biological excuse, oh, we don't have magnets in our beaks or in our scales. No, if your language and your culture trains you to do it, actually, you can do it. And that's it. And then she starts explaining how this works in different languages. And I've noticed that people are really interested in this because those who speak different languages feel that this is true. And one thing that Leda Borodinsky tells us is to think about how this happens to us because we are very cultural centered. And something that she says, is, I think that that's the most important takeaway from her talk. That's what she says at the very end is, Think of yourself, think of how you are culture-centered, how you are biased by your culture, and how there might be other cultures around and people thinking a very different way of yours because of language and culture. And that's something very interesting because as I'm talking to you, I see that it's uh, evening here in Spain. I work for Certified Interpreting Services, which is a US-based company, but I do that on a remote basis and I'm in Spain right now. So uh, it's evening now, but if I was saying that in Spanish, I would say, uh, Es la tarde, o buenas tardes. If I was greeting someone, instead of asking them which direction they were going, like these uh, cook people do, I'd say, buena tarde, good evening. But if I was saying that in Portuguese, in Brazilian Portuguese, it's funny because they consider that the evening starts before. So we say, uh, good evening, very late, like maybe uh, night, we say buenas noches uh -huh. uh, because we yeah. don't have that distinction uh, the same way at the same time, right? Well, I just remember so, this is this has always confused me as I'm trying to learn another language because that's always um, like chapter two of the Learn French workbook, right? It's always <laughs> you know buenas tardes, you know, bon soirée, bon bonsoir, mm -hmm. um, and it's like what, what, what's bonsoir and what's bon soirée, right? What's buenas tardes and what's buenas noches? Like where's the cutoff? And I've always struggled with that until I realized the cutoff is different across cultures. That's it. Right? That's and, the point. And it goes to the point because like this isn't just like some weird like like quirky linguistic thing. What it does is, and the argument that's being made um, by this um, speaker here, with Lara, Lara Boroditsky, the, the argument being made by her here is that it actually changes the way that we think about things. It changes the way that we perceive the world. Because if I use, if the cutoff for buenas tardes um, and buenas noches, or good afternoon and good night, is at 8 p.m. and I don't know, like you tell me, right? When, when, when would you say buenas noches? Start saying buenas noches. Maybe when it's already dark. So if you are talking in Brazilian Portuguese, the buenas tardes that would be equivalent to our buenas noches is uh, before. I mean, the buenas noches in Portuguese starts earlier 
than in Spain. And we also don't difference between uh, good evening and good night. If you say someone to someone good night here, uh, speaking English, someone in the United States, that's for someone who's going to sleep. But that doesn't happen in Spain. So the times change. People don't the sleep. Intention, <laughs> yeah, the intention of your greeting in the context are different too. So you have to be very careful about that. And this shapes the way your day goes because it's like if time were different, depending on the fact that you are speaking Portuguese or you are speaking Spanish or you are speaking English, it completely changes. The, the times change and the intention and the context change too. Good point. We also have have a comment in here. Alexandra Proka, thank you for joining in. She says, we all have different personas in different languages. Here, here. <laughs> here, here. Yeah. Have, have you found this, Oscar? Like, I've noticed that when I'm speaking a foreign language, a language is foreign to me, let's say Spanish or German, and I'm not going to speak them live here because I'm horrible. Um, but I find it's... It's not as, like, I don't feel as much weight. I don't feel, because it's not my language, like, I, it, it's easier to be reckless with my words in a foreign language, if that makes sense. Um, I, I don't have to think quite about it. Maybe it's just because I'm not the native speaker. But what, what is your experience when speaking different languages? Cause I, well, first of all, how many languages do you speak? I, I am... Um native bilingual in Galician in Spanish because I live in a region of Spain where we speak a language that was born together with Portuguese, okay? okay. Galician Portuguese, and then they split. So I speak Galician, I speak Spanish because of where I was raised and where I live now. Mm -hmm. And then I spent 11 years living, studying and working in Brazil. So I talk also, I speak Brazilian Portuguese. And of course, I need English for work. So those are, basic, those are basically the languages that I use on a daily basis. And then I, I have studied a bit of French, but I don't use it daily. So yeah. um, I don't consider that I speak French fluently today. Right? Oh. And my life experience in Brazil was amazing because I really felt a different person because I was right. living in the country. Right. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Well, yeah, you are a different person because you're living in a new country and you can reinvent yourself. But maybe language is just one more component that allows for this personal reinvention, right? Like, I know, like, I've lived in foreign countries before, and that first week in a foreign country is always, like, amazing. The world is your oyster. You get to start fresh. Um, nobody knows you, you can, uh, whatever, right? And I think language plays a role in that because we put so much of our pers persona, like our self-perception, our personal brand, so to speak, into the words that we use, the slang, especially like the slang that we use. And to give that up is to give up a part of yourself, I, I would say. Argument, I would make, but you're the one, you're the linguist here. Yeah. How how are you a different person when you're speaking a foreign language? It's, For me, speaking that. Brazilian Portuguese meant that I couldn't be as direct as I could be in Spanish, for instance, because in mm. Spanish we said things in a very direct manner, when we don't like something, when we think something should <laughs> yeah. be corrected, and so on. 
in both in English and in Brazilian Portuguese, I think we tend to be a little bit more careful, a little bit more indirect when talking about these things. Yeah, I remember my, one of my first experiences in in Spain. I think I was in Madrid. You know, just doing the clip. I was probably 19 years old, and we were looking for a hotel, or we were staying in a, a hotel or a hostel. And it's just like the ladies that were running the hostel were just so mean. They were so mean to us because we came back from the club probably probably drunk, being being assholes and they were just like hey you're so rude hey maleducado yeah all all of this stuff maleducado maleducado oh, yeah exactly right and i thought oh wow we really screwed up we really screwed up like these ladies are pissed like we're, we can never come back here again but then the next morning it's like everybody was happy everybody was over it and it was like my first realization that oh like cultures react differently and there's cultures out there where you can get in a big fight and even raise voices and call names and then forget about it the next day and my culture you know that, that i was raised in that i came from isn't really like that like we hold grudges for a while um we don't get angry as quickly but we don't calm down as quickly either and um yeah that was just my observation i'm not sure how i got got off onto that tangent but um yeah it's freeing to know that you know when speaking the other languages there's there's more than just the dictionary there's more than just the 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 terminology because it actually kind of gives you permission to to be a new person to be somebody else yeah when i was in brazil i started to uh, play capoeira we can say play capoeira but that's a tricky word because jogar in portuguese means that you are playing instruments, you are singing, you are doing some kind of fight against someone, and at the same time you are dancing. That's why capoeira only happens in Brazilian Portuguese. And then we translate it the way we can to communicate it to global audiences. But if you want to be into capoeira, you have to be a Portuguese language speaker. And that's why so many people learn Portuguese when they join Capoeira because there's no other way. It's so related to culture that the only way you have to participate is learning the language, learning to sing in that language, learning the names of the movements and communicating in Portuguese. So they say that Capoeira is the greatest ambassador of Portuguese language uh, around the world, mostly Brazilian Portuguese variation variety and that's very interesting because you get into a whole new world i mean that's another universe that's when you feel that you are really changing that you are becoming another person because you are someone who's singing in you are someone who's kind of fighting but at the same time you are not hurting the other person and it's also a kind of game that's why the word is so rich because the word stands for playing an instrument for playing with someone and at the same time for fighting or dancing so see how many meanings we have in just one word and then you have that behavior that is all one at the same time you might be fighting dancing singing and playing during the same capoeira session in a very very smooth way wow I 
I, I feel like we need other linguists because I, I, I am not a linguist. So I can ask you interesting questions, but all of the examples that I give are, are going to sound really stupid. But I remember when I was learning German, too, being fascinated by this word ziehen, um, to pull, right? Ziehen. And they, God, they use this word for everything. Like everything is pulled. Everything is pulled. It's like here in, in America, everything is taken. We take medications. We take a break. We take someone out on a date. We take um, – everything's taken. Everything's seen in Germany. And if you're in the comments and you speak German, give me some examples. Um, by the way, comments, um, shout out to – who was it? Uh, Join us in the comments. I can't see it here. Diego. Diego Mosca, definitely. He's agreeing with something. Yeah, he commented that when I was talking about Capoeira in the near ah. Leave capoeira in Brazilian Portuguese because if you are familiar with the with capoeira with the capoeira world, you understand what it means. And your examples were great, Tucker. I mean, we can take it to the personal realm because that's how we feel it, and then we can also take it to the localization realm, and that's uh, how we work with it. I'm a journalist. I mean, my education is a BA of journalism. And I always see these things from a communication perspective. That's how my mind is shaped to understand it. And imagine that we are translating documents related to the education system in the USA, and we are translating that into Farsi, for instance. Uh, if you think of Iran, and if you think of Farsi language, they don't have the same education reality. They don't have the same processes. So. It's like if you had to create something new without uh, reaching the level of transcreation. It's not exactly transcreation, but you have to adapt a lot. And sometimes you have to be too literal because you have to explain things. You have to explain what are those things that are happening in the USA. You know, regular exams or ways of assessing people, social services, mainly psychology, which is something we are so used to in Western countries, but many of those things are not um, subjects of everyday education in Iran or other countries. And that's when personal perception uh, gets a wider view, and that's when we see how culture shapes the reality we are working with, in this case, translating educational documents, for instance. So what Lera Brodisky is saying is very important, because if you are translating to Farsi, for instance, you are not just uh, changing words from a language to another language. You have to change the whole view of reality, the whole mindset, and that's something that we must understand. That's why she says what she says at the very end of the video. And that's the morale, because sometimes we say, okay, this is something very easy to translate. It's not a complicated or a technical document. Wait a bit. What happens with the people that live this culture in a different country and that have a different mindset? Am I able to see this from a point of view different than mine? And that's when she starts explaining these things. For instance, gender is something that changes. So um, what gender do you attribute to a bridge? Have you thought of that before, Tucker? Is a bridge masculine or feminine? 
Um, Deep Ruka. It's it's feminine. Um, La Puente, El Puente. Uh, I, I don't know. A bridge, a bridge is there. It, it's one of those things. And I remember when I was learning German, sorry to keep using my community college German classes back up, but my my um, instructor, Ursula, Ursula Ben Benhoff, Ben, ben something. I don't know, she was a, from Hessen. And um, she would say, gender is in dem Blut. It's in it's in the blood. Like there are no rules. You just know it. Like a good German person just knows that that is a neutral gender, or just knows that it is um, female or male. And yeah, I, I actually think that's kind of beautiful <laughs> that there aren't any yeah. rules for it, as opposed to like Spanish, where there's there's pretty clear rules. You know, if it ends in O, it's masculine. If it ends in A, unless you're talking about something, you know, there's. La comunidad, el problema, right? Stuff like that. Um, I don't know why I'm talking about Spanish with a Spanish linguist. No, but it's a good example because yeah. she compared German and Spanish on this slide. And okay, in the case of the word bridge, for instance, it's masculine in Spanish, and as she says, it's feminine in German. And what happens uh, from her studies, she noticed that German speakers seeing the bridge as something feminine, they tended to attribute feminine-like uh, adjectives, such as beautiful, elegant, and so on. Mm -hmm. And being the bridge masculine in Spanish, people tended to attribute adjectives which are more associated to the masculine uh, condition, such as long or strong and so on. And imagine that suddenly the gender of some word that you are so used to suddenly changes. And this is amazing. When she talks about the sun and the moon, for me, the sign is masculine because that's what happens in my native language, languages. Oh, and, and that's why we have that here on screen. Feminine. So imagine and, that suddenly... Really quickly, if anybody's watching this, or for those of, what we're looking at here is a video, the full video. I don't want to play it because I don't want to get copyright stuff happening. But um, the full video is available on Oscar Quotos' LinkedIn. It's a post. He put, reposted it um, about five days ago. Um, so go check it out and watch the full video for yourself. Sorry, Oscar, go. But I, I have it up here on screen. The this is the short version that they posted on LinkedIn. And you can also go to that platform and look for Lara Boroditsky, the cognitive scientist. And you can see this video of how language changes or shapes our personalities and how this is related to culture and so on. And imagine that one day you wake up and the sun has transgendered. The, the sun has changed its gender. And if you are a Spanish, Galician, Portuguese-speaking person, you are so used to the sun being masculine that you cannot conceive the sun in feminine, huh. even though it's a star. And even those stars are normally feminine, but the sun is like the father's son. And imagine that you had a father, a father-like figure, and somehow one day you wake up and you have a mother instead. 
and it's not the moon which is feminine uh, to us is the sun and suddenly all your world gets upside down yeah i'm just i'm just thinking I've never really thought about that before but I'm certainly thinking about it now we, we, we do have a troublemaking comment here from Renato. First of all, Renato, sorry about the sound. Thanks for letting us know. Um, it's probably my microphone, but um, Renato wants to get right into it here. Is Galician Portuguese or Spanish? Yeah. And why do I have a why do I have a suspicion that Renato's just trying to cause trouble with that question? <laughs> of course, but he's uh a Brazilian Portuguese native speaker, so it's normal that he's curious. If it were, I thought you were going to say it's normal that he tries to cause trouble. <laughs> no, no, it's normal that he gets interested in these linguistic questions because it's about the roots of his own language and he's also a linguist, right? So in Galicia, it could be Osol, uh, as it is in Portuguese, because as the as I said before these two languages share origins so many things are shared from a linguistic perspective i mean some expressions or some names are the same so osol in galician and oso with a little bit different pronunciation in brazilian portuguese but it's the same and in spanish it would be el sol and for me it would be weird to speak about la sol because for me, that's la luna, the feminine is attributed to the moon. And normally we establish kind of a system, even though they are things, they are objects and not animals that have a specific gender, we attribute a gender to them. And what happens is that when that changes, when that association changes, you perceive, you notice that there was something that you were taking for granted all your life and you, didn't ask yourself why and that's the gender of the sun the gender of the moon the gender of the bridge and many other words and that uh, that happens a lot when you switch from galician or portuguese into spanish so that's why many people mistake genders in these languages even if you are a native spanish speaker it's very easy that you change the gender of the salt for instance which is feminine in Spanish and masculine in Portuguese and so on. So there are lots of little things that change in your everyday life. And that's why when I started speaking Brazilian Portuguese, I made a lot of mistakes. So instead of starting from the book, what I did was just speaking. I have met people who were Brazilian Portuguese speakers in Spain before uh, going to Brazil before moving and living there. So I started just trying, trial and error, and I made a lot of mistakes. Not to speak about false friends, which could lead us to, uh, a totally different way. But that gender thing is amazing. Here's a quiz for Oscar. I think that someone was uh, posting a quiz. Is there a quiz? Is someone yeah. posting a quiz? What do we got here? Here's a quiz for Oscar. I, I just read that. Alexandra Broca. Here is a quiz for Oscar. In, in what language is the song Terra, oh, Terra Longi by Mayra Andrade? I am pronouncing that all wrong. It's up on the screen. Yeah. Can you see it? Mayra Andrade. Okay. That sounds like Portuguese. It's not written in formal Portuguese, but that sounds like Portuguese. 
Terra longe. What in what language is is she right, Alexandra? Let us know in what language is the song Terra. I'm gonna Google it. Screw that. Yeah, <laughs> you have uh, Google. But what caught my attention here is the way the title is written, and it sounds completely Portuguese, but it's not written like if it were a All right, Alexandra. regular Portuguese. We're, we're cheating here. Myra Andrade, Terra Longi, live in Berlin. Well, that doesn't help me. Um, related songs. Oh, this looks Portuguese. But you can tell us the answer now that I have said what I had to say. You can tell us Ale the answer. Alexandra, it's Portuguese. Final answer. I only had to Google it once because that's how uh -huh. good I am. Sabrina, Sabrina Mata, too. Uh, it happens a lot in German. Oh, good. We have a German. I'm, oh, no. I'm a Spanish speaker and I'm studying German and it's quite difficult to remember those differences. I, I, I feel, I feel you, Sabrina. I, I learned Spanish first and then tried to learn German and ended up not, not learning very one, either one of them very well. But yeah, thanks for the comment. Um, I have a question, Oscar. Yeah. Oh, Alexandra, I have no idea. I Googled it and it said Galician, hence my question. Oh, she was, it was an actual question. I thought you were just quizzing us to be a smarty pants, oh, okay. Alexandra. No, it was an actual question. So this looks, uh, Tara Longi here. Can you see it on screen? Um, it's an actual hey. question. Here, I'll play it for you. I'll play you 10 seconds. Okay, that's all I'm going to play. I know, I'm, I know we're going to get flagged on YouTube. Mm -hmm. The censors are coming for me if I play more of this copyrighted music. But, um... I think I can play up to 10 seconds. What is that, Oscar? Yeah, that sounds like Portuguese. There you go. Final and answer. Maybe, maybe he wrote it the way that sounded. That's why it sounded me like Portuguese. It was not written the regular way, but okay, it sounds like Portuguese, of course. Okay. Well, Alexandra says that she Googled it and it um, said Galician. That's why she wanted to know. Mm -hmm. But now straight from a Galician's, Galician speaker's mouth, he says it sounds like Portuguese. So there's your answer, Alexander. Mm -hmm. I have a question, Oscar, about something that I've always wondered, which is the difference between Spanish, Spanish and English um, and other languages. Your word for God is Dios, el Dios. No. Yes. And to me, is this just a coincidence? Am I reading way too much into this? But to me, the fact that there's an S on the end of it connotates plural, which is indicative of the Holy Trinity, which is indicative of the Judeo-Christian background of most Spanish speakers, right? Am I reading way too much into that? Because I always thought that was like super cool that you guys actually, like Spanish speakers, use a plural form to represent the, the Holy Trinity. Well, I think that you are thinking from the Catholic perspective and you are thinking from the Trinity perspective, but what we do in Spanish is we write God with capital letter at the beginning right. and in singular, even though it finishes with an S, it's not plural because right. when, we, when we write about gods, we use dioses, we use the plural, and that's normally written 
uh, avoiding the capital letter. So, so I'm reading way too much into it. Yeah, I think you are overthinking it, but it's interesting because this could be a way in which language shaped our way of seeing or understanding God or something like that. But that distinction is important. Dios versus dioses, because it's not only about singular and plural. It's and also capital, capital versus Lord, yeah. we use. Because when we write about the gods, those gods are normally written without the capital letter. Well, and the, that's an important difference. It, no, it's totally, totally in diosis. There, so there is a plural form of it. I just, you know, there's not that many singular Spanish words that end with S. No, right. not those many, because normally you can understand the yes as a plural mark, but uh, you have to be careful about that. Yeah. Okay. Because you have uh, even people's names that are singular in that end in S, Jesus, and that happens oh. in English, yeah. Jesus, Jesus, or Moises, Moses. And you can understand that from the English perspective, too. Yeah, I'm just looking at over here on your LinkedIn post. And how are we doing on time? Oh, we're fine. We're fine. Um, wow, it's like 237 comments. That's what I was just looking at. I didn't realize that when we started doing this this morning. 406 yeah. likes and 287 comments. I have been chatting with people about the differences they noticed. And they are... They are many, and they are very diverse. That's the most interesting thing about the conversation prompted by this video. Yeah, let's just go through some of these comments really quick. Um, Gil Andrews, or maybe it's Jill Andrews, conversion copywriter and web consultant. So cool, can confirm. I speak five languages, and with each new one, I felt like my perception of the world got one more dimension but I noticed it only happens once you start speaking more or less fluently when you don't have to translate from your mother tongue anymore. I.e. when it's, it's so like when you're not translating in your head, when you're not like me, I translate everything in my head. Um, going to find the full talk online now. Thanks for sharing Oscar. Yeah, that's what I said. You can find the whole talk on the TED platform. That's the best place to find it because you can watch the whole talk. The whole talk. If you look for it on LinkedIn, you are going to see the short version on my profile, the short version on the TED platform, uh, on the TED page on LinkedIn too. If you think of the film The Arrival, can you remember yeah. the film The Arrival? Have you watched it? Okay. So there's a point in which uh, one character asks this linguist that is trying to communicate with aliens if she is dreaming in the language. So when you are studying, uh, when you are dreaming in another language, when you are using a language from a, an intuitive point of view in an automated way, that's when you really start thinking and shaping the way you behave in that language. But that takes time. You know, that movie, and like now that you bring it up, is really like a metaphor for everything that we've been talking about. Because the whole premise of this movie, and I wonder, spoiler alert, like, no, seriously, like spoilers, there's, there's, there's like an M. Night Shyamalan type thing that happens in this movie, and it's, it's pretty good, I think. Um, so go watch the movie. Um, but the whole 
premise of that movie is that after she learns this language, which actually wasn't a language, it was a script, um, because it was written, after she learns this language, that language like unlocks the ability to perceive reality differently to the point where that um, she was basically a time traveler, right? Like be, be able to exist simultaneously and through time to be able to experience the, the fourth dimension of time in a different way just after learning this language. And the whole point of the movie was the aliens coming to Earth to give humanity this gift of this language. Um, and I, yeah, I didn't even realize that yeah. until you mentioned this movie. Great movie. Go see it if you guys haven't seen it. That's it. I don't want to get deeper into the movie because we have... I already spoiled it for everybody. Yeah, a little bit, let's say. (laughs) But it's something interesting. And there's another movie which is not fiction. It's a documentary which is called My Teacher, The Octopus. Uh, This documentary won the Oscar recently. And I don't want to spoil what's the relation between this documentary and Arrival. But the fact is that in My Teacher, the Octopus, what the main character says, the guy who filmed the, a part of the documentary, because sometimes he's filmed, so he has two co-directors, right? But uh, when he went and he met the octopus, he said that the whole uh, natural environment there spoke a language and then when he understood that language he could communicate with that environment and also with the octopus he started to think like an octopus so he could uh, follow that octopus which was feminine it was a she and there's a reason for that in the documentary so he says that uh, he went after her to find her and communicate and they even shared some caresses like if that were a pet or a friend or something like that and what the octopus taught this guy was how to understand the underwater world and how how life was underwater in that environment and that's an amazing shift that's a completely mind-blowing proposition i believe that's why what's it called again won the oscar my teacher the octopus and it's wonderful that thing is literally an immersion in a different world in in a language and imagine you are underwater sorry yeah you can play it from the first uh, 10 or 15 second song because it starts uh i'll find i'll find the um the trailer the trailer yeah you have the official trailer there the netflix official trailer and you can play it from the 10 or 15 second long it it delays a little bit Uh, so here you are okay that's it seeing this really strange Oh, 
so so this is this is a wild octopus yeah this is a wild octopus and what he's saying is that suddenly he starts going every day and then something happens because uh, the scenes that you have just seen are from the time when they are already communicating and when he caresses the octopus and the octopus some kind like somehow like hugues him or touches him and that's a way of communication of course they don't talk in the way we humans talk that's not human language but there's a non-verbal language and there's a way they communicate so imagine going underwater in very cold water and uh, without any protection gear because he wanted to go like that that also happens in the film the arrival in some way because the linguists uh, the linguist at some point takes off some protective clothes so that she can communicate better. And then you have to start thinking like an octopus and living in that natural environment following the rules down there. And that's what happens. So if you want a change of perspective and you want to have it illustrated, you have fiction, the arrival, and then you have documentary, my teacher, the octopus. And those are mind blowers, both of them, an excellent fiction film and an excellent documentary. And there you can see what happens and how we could change our minds in a, in a huge way, in a radical way, because all this that we have been commenting on LinkedIn is about human language, and it's a lot, it's huge. But then you have these other points of view. And also, uh, when we talk to people and we see what they say about speaking several languages, I always ask them uh, which languages they speak and which is their native language, because that shapes the way they think sure. and that's very important so sometimes they give me like general examples and then i start uh, digging into the question i start drilling and they start telling me okay i'm a native speaker of this language so maybe that's why i do this and that but when i speak this other language something happens and when i speak this other one these different things uh, thing happens. And it also depends of which context um, you are using the language in. Because for instance, I was a father when I was in Brazil, right? I mean, I had my daughter. I was, so suddenly- I was say, I hope you still are. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, but I became a father. That's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. that let's use things properly. Otherwise we might get wrong uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just Yeah. Between became, become and to be. Okay, so I became a father when I was living there in Brazil. And what happened is that suddenly that um, child world was in Portuguese for me because there was where I lived, except for the fact that I talked to my, to my daughter and I still do in Spanish. But mainly those things of the infant, you know, uh, changing diapers and all those things, happened in Brazilian Portuguese because everyone was speaking that language. Right. I was speaking Spanish to my daughter. So instead of saying papá, which could be a word she used for the first time, the first time she spoke, Bye -bye. I was changing her diapers and I said, te voy a cambiar de pañal. And she said, pañal, diaper. 
in Spanish. And that's our special way of communicating because there's an environment in Brazilian Portuguese and there's our father, daughter, daughter, father communication happening in Spanish. And what's funny is that up to this day, she's 13 now, she speaks to me in Brazilian Portuguese, but she has a perfect command of Spanish. So I talk to her in Spanish and she talks to me in Brazilian Portuguese. And from time to time, she finds it funny or she simply feels like talking in Spanish and that's what she does. So imagine it's like an immersion, like the documentary about the octopus, right? You are in a Brazilian Portuguese speaking environment. Everything about kids is happening in Portuguese. And most of the songs that you hear for kids and so on. And then you are using Spanish. So the language of caress, the language of love, the daughter father language is Spanish. And that's like a realm, that's our realm, okay? So the world is happening in Portuguese, but we speak in Spanish and that's our place. That's where we belong. Because I wanted to do that so that she could turn a, a bilingual child and that she also kept her roots and that she had some feeling because you know what happens. I'm talking about my daughter because when you are really fluent in a language and you are really immersed in it, you start to feel in that language. And that's the difference for me between Galician, Portuguese and Spanish and English, for instance, because I use English mostly for work. So sure. I don't feel that much in English. I don't associate it as much. It's not passionate. Uh, it's... Feeling. Yeah, because yeah. I use it for work. I don't have a daughter I speak to in English. I don't do that. I prefer to speak in my native language in Spanish. You know, that's actually and kind of also... beautiful, like, because I wish I could compartmentalize, like, the time with my kids and work. But I, do, I, I operate in English. It's the only language I operate. It's the only language I think in, and it's mostly the only language that I speak on a day-to-day -day basis. And... I wish I could switch gears because one of my struggles is at the end of the day being able to sit down with my kids and actually give them the time that they deserve and not be, you know, thinking about work, writing an email, all of that stuff. And I have a feeling like code switching or switching English to or switching languages would actually kind of help with that. It sets a kind of boundary. Yeah. And what happens with my parents is that they raise me in Galician language. Mm -hmm. That's why I think that I'm bilingual, because they really talk to me in Galician. I didn't study the language or learn it when I was an old. I, they talked to me in yeah. Galician from the very beginning, right? No, I, I know when an actual linguist says that they're fluent, I, I know what that means. Yeah. <laughs> it means you didn't take <laughs> two semesters in college, like, yeah, like a lot of people. And when I miss Galicia, when I'm not living here, like when I was in Brazil, or if I go live at another place, like in the Basque country for a year, when I began to study journalism, I miss Galicia and I miss it in Galicia. And we have a specific word for that. And it has to be that word is Morinha. And Morinha is the Galician word for missing Galicia. So it's something very specific. And when I use saudade in Portuguese, which is a similar word, and there's that word in, in Galician too, 
Saudade can also mean missing something or even missing the land where you were born, but it's not the same as Moriña for me. So for that specific way of longing, you know, of missing your loved ones in the land where you were born, I have Moriña. And that's the, the word I have in my heart. And there's no other word that can convey that feeling because it's not just a meaning, it's a feeling. So imagine the only word that describes that is a word in Galician. That's the only one that really communicates what I feel. And if I say that, I say people, I say to anyone, uh, I'm feeling Moriña, Teño Moriña. And everyone who knows what it is understand, understands immediately all the implications, everything. And our people migrated a lot. So there are lots of Galician people around the world yeah and if you tell anyone that you're feeling Mourinho, they will get you immediately oh, no. let's do let, let's look at one more comment okay um and out of the 200 plus comments here um i don't want to go through all of them but i found this one interesting from fernando parrado herrera um, multicultural information technology manager um he says they the way that we shape the world is by language. One very unique example is the verb ser or estar in Spanish. To be to, to be just to be in English. It's hard to explain in English. But I, I came up with this. Um, this hit me hard too when I was learning Spanish. And this is a really, really, you know, a lot of you know second year Spanish students in high school here in America really struggle with this. Um, the difference between estar and ser, right? Um, however, what I've found, and for, the, for those of you that are watching at home, here's me trying to explain Spanish when I have a freaking native Spanish speaker. But this will be helpful because I think it's helpful to get explained by a non-native Spanish speaker. Um, ser is like a permanent to be. It is a sense of being. It is, it is what it is. Estar is like a passing... Um, it is a current state, right? So correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to try this. I'm going out of yeah. limb here, Oscar. But you have el a very, restaurante yeah. es cerrado uh -huh. or el restaurante está cerrado, right? I mean two completely different things. Is that correct? Is that an actual? Well, we would better use está cerrado. It's closed. Yeah. And then you would use the verb ser instead of estar for something that's more permanent, like... Um, but what if the restaurant uh, was, like, out of business? What if it was, like, closed for good? Could I say, el restaurante es cerrado? No, we, we would, oh, we would like still that. say, está cerrado, because it's a state. It's a more permanent state, but it's a state. But if it's a feature of the restaurant, like the restaurant is cozy, for instance, that's a very used adjective for restaurants, el restaurante es agradable o es acogedor, that's uh, something that is intrinsic. It's like an adjective to the to the restaurant, right? Yeah, no, so I get it. Sorry, it's, I was, it's a cozy restaurant. It's a cozy restaurant. Okay, yeah. it's un restaurante agradable. It is cozy, right? And if you think of what I said about my daughter, the confusion I had, the mistake I had at the at that moment was very productive because that teaches us the difference between ser or estar. I mean. Um, being a father, you are a father. It is padre. 
no estás padre. Estás padre would be a very different thing, by the way. We could use that in Mexican Spanish, but that's another thing. But what you said is, I hope you are still a father because that's it. You become a father, that's a, a change in your life, and then you are a father. Even if there's a tragedy and your child dies, somehow you go on being a father because that's something that uh, shapes your life and your way of being in the world. That's a... Uh, a permanent uh, condition. You are a father. And then um, if you are in charge of something, tú estás a cargo. So it's very different to be a father, eres padre of someone, than being in charge of a child for an afternoon or an evening. You know, all these words for times of the day that we talked yeah, about yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. So that's it, and that's something you feel. I mean, like a native Spanish, Galician, Portuguese, almost native Portuguese speaker, this is something that comes naturally to us. We don't think of that. Yeah. We don't even notice that. Well, was because it's natural to us. Well, it's natural, and that that's this is a nice, because um, we're coming up on the top of the hour here, so I think it's about time to close it on up. But that brings us back nicely to how we started this conversation, right? It's these, these subtle ways that the language that we speak and the words that we use affect and shape how we perceive the world. And, you know, just using the ser padre, right? You know, you know yo soy padre. Um, that's, that's powerful to me because it's like once a father, always a father. It, 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 it provides that extra validity. Like, no, this is who you are. This is who you are now. Like, this is who you are as a human being. It's just not, it's not a phase you're going through. It's who you are, you know? It's like, for, for example, and I know we got to close, but one more example, guys. For example, in um, my wife's language, she speaks uh, Fanti. It's um, when you become a, a mother, and I'm probably butchering this too, but you are identified, you get a new name. And the name is that of your offspring. So you would, my, my son's name is Connor. My, my wife's, I could totally call my wife uh, Connor Mommy, right? Connor Mommy. And that's just her new name now. It's her identity because she, she's a mother. And I wonder what I would be called. That's a question. I, sh I should ask her. I'm probably, probably a bad, there's a worse name, a less respected name for fathers there. But hey. That's it. That's why we need the human touch in language. And that's why, in spite of artificial intelligence, in spite of all the machine translation devices we might have and so on, we still need the human factor because language is something very subtle. Yeah. And language is linked to mindset, is linked to, to the heart, to our feelings. And that's deep. That's the human. tough one. Yeah, that's the tough one. Because mindset can be codified and put on the paper. But it, it's this that's really hard. It really just needs that human touch. Oscar. And sometimes I, we go by feeling. I felt very good talking to you. And how do you explain that uh, to a machine? I, I don't know, because all the machine cares about is analytics. And I, screw analytics. This was fun. So, <laughs> but I, I do have a hard stop coming up. And I know you have to get going too. Oscar, I want to thank you mm -hmm. for coming on, having the guts to come on here today. Let's do it again. Uh, there's a plenty more to talk about. I, we didn't even talk about, this isn't even what we were supposed to talk about today. Um, we were supposed to be talking about 
online technology courses. That's yeah, another subject. Let's cover that it's later. Fine because today we talked about feelings, you know, about the heart and how we feel in the human part of language. And another day we might talk about technology because both are intertwined and it's good to know the differences from the between the human perspective and the machine perspective. I think that both empathy and human touch and technology have their places. So another day we can talk about the touch part, here, about the geek part. Here, here. And also, I didn't even bring up Latinx. <laughs> so let's maybe broach that subject because it's a fascinating subject that ties into this, this um, changing a language to remove gender, or to remove gender yeah. nouns. We talked a bit about gender, but gender is a really complex issue. Yeah, well, so, we, we started getting into gender, but I purposefully mm -hmm. didn't ask you about that because I know we'd probably just be going for three hours, and we don't have time for three hours. We're done. Mm -hmm. I'm playing the music. I'm playing us out to, to force us, oh, to force us out of here. But once again, uh, thank you, Oscar. Stick around after this. We can, we can debrief. If you guys are watching in the stream, thank you very much for participating. We got Renato, Alexandra, Sabrina, uh, Diego. Thank you, guys. It's great to have you. Thank you very much. If you're not signed up, if you're still with us, if you're not signed up, uh, if you're not following Nimsy, make sure to subscribe follow all of that stuff if you don't you won't get not notified when we go live these are live pop-up events and we just do them when we feel like doing them well we don't we plan it a little bit better than that but if you'd like to participate dm me um my name is tucker johnson i'm on linkedin or reach out to info at nimsy.com we'll get you all set up let's have a conversation let's talk about it with that i will bid you guys adieu and we'll talk to you next time ciao